Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy's Show and Tell. As you know, Show and Tell is the show where we like to bring on cool guests to talk about something cool that they're working on. And we get to do something really cool. We get to bring on a returning guest. I like talking to people again. And today's cool guest is Tim Gonzalez, and we're going to be talking about Beacon, his latest RPG that has a whole lot of stuff going for it, and I'm excited to talk about it. So welcome, Tim. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so it's been so for those who don't remember, we had you on for it was it it was Ancestry Awakened, right? Was, yes, and I think that was early 2020. Yeah, so that was a it was a book of ancestries you did. You had some I think the most memorable one that you had in there was a it was like some sort of like slime ancestry, right? Yeah, yeah, it's straight up there was a ooze ancestry and it was great. That and it was even on the cover. I I love that one. <laughs> it stuck with me. It stuck with me. Okay. So that's cool. But you have kind of been doing a whole lot of stuff since we last talked. All right. And you've kind of shifted a little bit. Uh, that was a fifth edition supplement. And now we're doing something different. All right. We're talking mm -hmm. about Beacon. So I guess since then to now, what have what have you been up to since the last time we talked? Oh, you know, just trying to survive, yada yada. Um, I ha I I got uh, pets now. I have uh, two cute little rabbits. I'm very excited about that. That's different. I had rabbit. I had rabbits growing up, and I've been dying to get uh, rabbits as a pet as well, uh, like as an adult and. Okay, other things I did. I also like bought a house since we last talked. Yeah, so yeah. like with with that <laughs> happening, it's like all right, we're finally at a position where we're allowed to have pets now. So yep. kind of as soon as we could, went out of went out and finally got ourselves little rabbits. So okay, so I feel like writers, yeah, writers need to have like a unique pet. I think of like everybody <laughs> talks about maybe like having like a rat or a cat, but a, okay, a rabbit though. Oh, they're they're the best pets. Okay. I, I'm a little I'm a little biased, but they are they are perfect pets. Um, they don't require a ton of uh, you don't have to take them on walks. They're you can litter train them. They are quiet and they're small. You know they're small and depending on the personality, you can hold them and pet them, and they're just so cute. <laughs> nice. Okay. Well. All right. So. Uh, so lots of stuff. So you've got the big stuff in your life going on. You got rabbits. Mm -hmm. You got a house. So that means that you got time to work on a big new game, right? Yes. Yep. Because this is uh, you sent you sent me the play test to kind of look through. And previously you had done it was a supplement, all right. And I know you've done some other you've done some other games too. But this is like a this is a full game. This is this is a lot. Yeah, I think current version is just at 400 page. It's a big one. It's a big game. So I guess before we get rambled too much, what is the... We've I've seen some really cool art on Twitter and everything, so it's just kind of like, it's very evocative. But So what? tell us, audio form, what is the elevator pitch for Beacon? All right, so Beacon is a high fantasy tabletop role-playing game um, inspired by Lancer, D&D 4E, and with the thematic influences of Final Fantasy throughout it. Okay, so I want to talk about the Lancer and the 4E piece later, but all right, so inspired by thematically by Final Fantasy. Mm -hmm. Why Final Fantasy? All right, so the reason specifically for Final Fantasy is... Um, when when I was designing this, and we can talk about Lancer later, which is a great game, um, but some of this started as a essentially a, a hack of what Lancer was doing at the time, and one of the core elements of Lancer being a mech-based role-playing game is that you can change out your mech for basically whatever kind of mission you go on. And when I wanted to do something like that for a fantasy type of setting, I was thinking about what works well for that. And something like traditional D&D, &D, it doesn't really fit 
the theme of that like the idea of the hero like changing their class often or changing their approach to combat very often it, it it's not baked into kind of what D&D does but I was also playing a lot of Final Fantasy 14 okay and that is one of the core things you can do in Final Fantasy 14 which is the 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 one of the MMO Final Fantasies so like unlike Warcraft where Anytime you want to play a different class, you make a new character for that. Your character is their class. Final Fantasy XIV, your one character can learn all of the different classes or jobs in that game and can shift between them. And the one expansion they had, uh, Shadowbringers, the intro uh, like trailer for that one was so cool. But the, like as this fight was going on, it really highlighted this the the hero of light like shifting between their different jobs like mid-battle trying to get a you know you know get an advantage over their foe and i was just like that's that is how like switching jobs should look for a for a fantasy type of thing this is what i want to use it on and if if i'm using a final fantasy inspiration i should start looking at some of the other final fantasies i'd liked and that led into the other influences so uh, the the whole idea of like changing classes is super appealing to me because I I get bored super <laughs> easy. All right, with everything that I'm doing. All right, so I think right now we're doing a, I'm doing a new we're doing a new campaign to if we're, we're doing from some fifth edition in order to combat that. What we're doing is we're we're only doing three sessions with each character. Then we're kind of dumping them to mm-hmm. build a new character. But what you're saying you're doing is you've got the same character, but you can have different abilities? Or is it like you have all of the abilities that you have access to at all the time? Or is it like you're changing skins almost? Uh, so so the way it would work is you're, as you level up, you get more classes. You you unlock access to more things. But whenever you go to into a quest, it's a, it's a more, reg, like combats are more regimented. They're... Like it's trying to play it as an actual game, um, and that's because like combat and narrative are separate, are like separate modes of play in this game. But yeah, like out of, when you go on a quest, out of everything you have unlocked, you would pick what you would bring on that specific quest and the different uh. like like if you equip the arsenal job for example that'll tell you like all right you can bring like three types of weapons or you can bring these type of support items or you you have access to this amount of memory for skills and you would you would every different quest you go on could be different and you could swap out based on what a specific quest might entail like if you know we're gonna rescue someone like we're going on a rescue mission maybe we should focus on our mobility stuff and you you maybe depending on your level you have a different job that's faster or you have different techniques that maybe they're a little faster maybe i shouldn't play like the slowest job in the game gravewalker for this and and that's encouraged and it's a core part of the game plus to your point about like getting bored with things very easily I feel that way too in in certain games like based on how slow like leveling might occur in individual games. So I just straight up gave a core part of the game being like yeah for a downtime activity you can just respec your entire character if you want. Uh, like it's specifically there for it's like you know what I feel like I've done everything I want to do with this job but I like the character. Now you don't have to worry about like ah oh, I've got to retire this character and bring in a new one. It's like no, here, just respect play with something else. It's like, just like you can do a 14. Yeah, it's very much kind of reminds me of like just like choosing a new loadout in like a video game or something. Like Absolutely. I, I call it a loadout sometimes okay. when I'm explaining it. Yeah, so that, yeah, that's exactly how it would work, changing your loadout. So I know a lot of people really enjoy uh, Final Fantasy for just the, the world building and the the kind of the unique take on high fantasy, but I know that there are a lot of different flavors of Final Fantasy. So as far as like the world building in 
like the theme of your game itself. Can you tell us a little bit about the world of Beacon? And then also what elements of like what Final Fantasy like elements are you pulling into the world of Beacon? Give us the world building here. Yeah, so that that's an important part. There are so many Final Fantasy games. I haven't played them all, but my favorites are Final Fantasy X and Final Fantasy XIV. Uh, I've played a couple other ones, but like th- those are the, the ones I like the most and the ones that have the most influence on the game. Um, so the setting of Beacon, it doesn't have a defined setting, but it has a framework for it. Because I, I came at this with the approach of a lot of people like creating their own settings. Um, and I know I want this to be able to tell Final Fantasy-esque stories. So I put together kind of a framework for making sure you can design settings like that. And I have as a core part of the game that you and the players are all designing your setting together. And I have a few different prompts that you would go through. I also have like a random setting generator. I call them reflections Ooh. in this. Um, but the core concept is there's there's the source. And you can think of the source is the game. The game is the source. It's It's the point of like infinite potential and stories and everything. Think of it as a giant crystal because crystals are important in Final Fantasy. And Anytime you look at the source, you're always looking at it through a different facet of this crystal, a different reflection. And there's common themes that exist in the source, but every time you look at it, every setting you play in, have them in arranged in a different way, or they look differently. So the, the common themes are the fact that your characters are beacons, your characters that inspire others or others look up to. Whether that means your heroes, anti-heroes, villains, people are drawn to you and people look up to you one way or another. There are, what is the role of crystals? Because it's a Final Fantasy game. Crystals have to be important crystals. in some way. Yeah, are crystals uh, magical ammunition? Um, are crystals a form of currency? Just what are they? Um, and then what is the scourge? And this is this is coming from my Final Fantasy X uh, uh, game, but the idea of that there is a recurring threat, not necessarily a villain, but there is a recurring threat that the beacons have to deal with, whether they want to or not. And the, the idea of it being recurring leads you to the depending on the setting, this is something that has happened before. It's going to happen again. I, I sometimes think of it as like there's two ways of handling something like that. There's how do we stop something like that, a recurring threat, and how do we end a recurring threat? And those are two different, those are two different paths. Gotcha. So I love games where I can world build with my players. I feel like we all get a little bit more. It's It's a different type of... I don't know. It it lends itself to, I mean, we talk about role-playing games as being collaborative storytelling, but are they really if you're not like really doing that together? So exactly. I think it's pretty and cool. I, I, I feel that same way. Like I've, I've created my own settings, you know, just by myself. And I know a lot of people do that because it's so much fun to create your own setting. And if you're the person running a game, you like, great, I want to share this with you. I want to show you this cool thing I made. Um, but after playing like like games like Microscope and yep. was it like Kingdom Builder? There was like a, a a smaller scale version of something like Microscope as well. But building settings together, I ended up having more fun either as a player or as a GM in those because you got your players have such cool ideas. They're contributing ideas to what the world would be, what the setting would be. And they're also more invested because, A, they created parts of it, and they also now know things about it. Because then you have the common problem of, like, I wrote a huge backstory for my world. <laughs> yeah. Here players read this mini novel, and it's like, that's that's great, but that's homework at this point. We're not saying it's not good, but you've given me homework. Yeah, they don't have that same connection 
to it. Like if they help you build, they are invested in keeping this world going. So, nah, agree. So, speaking of creating, then, all right, we, I want to diverge a little bit. So, you went from doing, um, you were doing some different, uh, you know, resource books, some, um, ex- some expansions, some supplements. So, but then you kind of shifted over to Beacon and some of your own stuff. What was the, how did that look? And so, like, how did Beacon become a reality? So, why make Beacon? What was the inspiration there? The Lancer role-playing game is a fantastic role-playing game, and I recommend everyone read it. Uh- <laughs> okay. I, so Lancer is amazing, but then what made you say, okay, I don't want to do mechs. I want to do this. So uh, the, re- the reason I've also mentioned D&D 4E is D&D 4E was the last time before Lancer I had fun building characters that I knew I had no... In- that we're never going to see the light of day. <laughs> yeah. the, the act of building a character was really fun, and it really engaged me in a way that other games haven't until Lancer. And when I was looking at how Lancer does that, um, the building, you know, gaining licenses, you know, upgrades to your mech, and the way that was handled, um, I was like, oh my god, this is so much fun to build characters in it it lends itself well to homebrew, like to to people wanting to make homebrew on it because of the way it's built. And then the more I started looking at, you know, your own little homebrew in that, I started looking at the system like, oh man, but what would this look like for for a fantasy setting? Like how much of a D&D 4E influence uh, or like the feel of those D&D 4E classes, like how well could I replicate them here? And then that just continued to develop and spin off into like oh i guess i'm making my own game here huh <laughs> so then all right so we have you've got these in, these influences from lancer and Fori. so how would you describe the the core mechanics here and i want to talk about them but would is this is this lancer homebrew is this 4e homebrew is this some sort of weird divergence between the two where would you put this I'd put it now, like, it did start as, like, oh, this is going to be a fantasy hack of Lancer, but the more I played Lancer and the more I worked on this, the more it started to develop into its own sort of thing. So the, like, the DNA behind it is very similar to Lancer. Someone familiar with Lancer is going to see a lot of similarities, and I consider that a good thing. Yeah. Um, But then I made changes to... Like, I started adding more and more changes to it to address either, you know, things that I thought, oh, maybe I think this would work better than how Lancer might handle it, or just like, oh, in order to better represent these class fantasies that I want to do, here's a different way of handling it until it eventually spawned off into, like, there there are there are enough differences here that someone familiar with Lancer can jump right into it but still be confused by some of the the differences to it. Like, oh, this isn't exactly just reskinned Lancer. Like, this has different mechanics associated with it now. So then, all right, so talking about the mechanics then, you've mentioned already this tactical versus narrative, and as I was reading through uh, the your playtest, yeah, it's like you've got your tactical versus narrative, which is very much kind of a Lancer, a Lancer kind of thing. So can you describe in high level, what is the core mechanic or gameplay structure of narrative, and what's that core mechanic and gameplay structure of tactical? So people kind of know, like, what is this game? Yep. So it's all uh, the dice you'll use is a d20 and a d6, either way. Um, so in narrative play, you're if, if anyone's familiar with 13th Age, um, the idea of those uh, background skills, yep. that's uh, how you would build a character in, for narrative play in Beacon. You come up with, all right, what are these unique aspects of my character's background, kind of creating your own skills, like... Uh, I was the acrobat performer for the Demon Circus or librarian for the Forgotten Library. You come up with these cool background skills that really lean into the fact that you're heroes in a high fantasy setting. Uh, And you also come up with your title, um, which is 
the way I look at it is your title is people may not know who you as a character are individually, but they either know or will know of your legend, your legacy, which is your title. So in Final Fantasy XIV, this would be like Estinian the Azor Dragoon. People may not know Estinian's name, but they know of the Azor Dragoon. And every gotcha. character is built that way. The mechanics of how you use narrative play, um, it's got those PBTA uh, kind of mechanics all over it. So you've got three stages of success when you make a roll. You either have a miss, a hit, or a crit. It is D20 based, so it's not the, you know, seven or uh, seven to nine, ten or plus that PBTA games would normally have. Uh, yeah. So this would be, you know, if you get a nine or lower, it's a miss. If you, As long as you hit a 10, it's a hit. Like you just in narrative play, you just need to hit a 10 and uh, you've now got a hit. That's cool. Yeah. I like and, that idea. It's because it's like in narrative play so often, it's one of those things like you're telling the story at that point and you want your players to kind of be successful to kind of drive the narrative and the plot, whereas combat's a little bit different. So I like the idea of it being like a 10 and you're good. Yeah. And like if you've played PTA games, those uh, like seven and nine. That's where the interesting things happen. Yeah. Like that's where the most interesting choices are. So that's it's relatively easy, especially if you have background skills that apply and luck is on your favor. You're gonna hit them more often. Um, and then to get a crit, it's a twenty or higher. Notably, in in Lancer and Beacon, crits are on a roll, a total roll of twenty or higher. It's not just a natural twenty. Gotcha. Okay, so yeah, no, it's funny that you kind of mention this is like some weird synchronicity because it's been like the last three podcasts we've done. It's not not just the show and tells, but our detentions and our faculty meetings. We have talked about uh, 13th Age. I don't know why <laughs> we keep on talking about it. And we've been talking about uh, our the pbta on uh, 2d6 we just been i don't know so this is funny that you bring that up so all it, all designers love it i think <laughs> i know right so okay so that's our that's our narrative and i think i got a good idea of where you're going with that so what about what about our tactical play because i know a lot of people love fourth edition combat and i know a lot of people really love the tactical nature of lancer so what is the tactical aspect of beacon then yeah so in beacon when you, when you go into like combat play it's specifically there for your kind of um like big battle sets like the important pivotal battles it's not for your like minor skirmishes, like your barroom brawl, your I opened a room in the dungeon and there's a single zombie ogre in there. Like it's it's for your like here is our like playset big sorta of battles. Um the way you would make a character for combat play is there's a number of classes in the game. I think there's like twenty-four classes. Um each class has three levels with it, a maximum of three levels. Assuming that you're going to play for at least four levels, your character is going to have to multi-class. We don't call it multi-classing because it's a core part of the game that you are going to cobble together. You're going to look at the different classes out there and think about what kind of character do I want to play? What sort of style do I want to use in combat play? And specifically look for abilities or classes that support that or let you do that better. And you start unlocking all these abilities. You put, to, like when you go on a quest, you equip those sorts of things. So what job am I going to use? Am I going to be the shadow dancer? Am I going to be the arsenal? What skills and weapons am I going to specifically equip for this? Either, you know, designing around a specific combat scene, designing around the quest as a whole what do we think we need and then when you go and go into the actual uh like battle you're going to be doing it you're going to be doing it on a grid or a hex or whatever um and uh 
it has a phase battle system. So Beacon has a ton of choices and a ton of options for players. And I know that can be overwhelming. So what it does, instead of the game going, all right, Tom, it's now your turn. What do you want to do? And you're like, I have 30 different things I theoretically could do. What do I do now? And uh, analysis paralysis hits. It splits everything down into phases. Like, all right, phase one. Does anyone need to take any of the actions from phase one? There's you can defend or you can recover. Does anyone need to defend or recover? You do? Great. You're taking your turn now. You now know your action is going to be defend or recover. And then your turn's over. If no, if no one else is going in that phase, now we go on to the next phase. Does anyone need to channel a big ability that's going to leave you vulnerable until a later phase when you get to release it? Okay. No one has a channel ability? All right. We're going to move on to the next one. So it splits it up into smaller chunks of time, smaller decision points for people to think of instead of spotlights oh, on you. What you going to do? Oh, that's cool. I like that. I don't know. It's just... I, there's just some, so when I think of like a, a Final Fantasy game, I think of like a turn-based JRPG. So it's like uh, you're. It's obviously what you're doing outside of combat is way different. I mean, it looks different. The cameras are way different. I mean, it's completely different. The menu, different menu systems, everything. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, no, I I think that's I phases. I dig it. Yeah, and it, it opens up really interesting possibilities because the enemies don't work that way because it would be a nightmare. I actually tried early versions, had NPCs work like PCs. It was a nightmare. It was too many things for the person running the game to track. So yeah. enemies are designed around the fact that an enemy has a set phase they go during. And it's public knowledge. A lot of the game is public knowledge of like what enemies are doing so that you can plan around it, make better decisions. But you know, all right, the protector NPC, they're going during phase one. That fury NPC, they're going phase seven, which probably means they're going to hit hard. So do we want to go try to do things sooner before they would go? Do we want to change what our plan was going to be now knowing you know, what phases these enemies would go during. It, it, it opens up a lot of interesting um, synergies and possibilities, like having them, having the enemies use those set phases and knowing what they are. Okay, so this is so, this is interesting. So we've got these two very distinct, like, gameplay styles. So what sort of feeling are you trying to evoke at the table? Like, if you were to sit down and play a game of Beacon, what would that look like so for example you think about playing a game of i think the easiest example is people think about like a game of D. &D. all right you'll have like a social interaction you'll have maybe a combat a goofy scene you know all these different things so but like you sit down and play beacon what is that what's that look like so you're going to through the process of like creating your characters you're going to figure out already how they how they operate, how they connect with each other, because that's just more fun that way. Um, your characters are going to get a quest at some point. One way or another, they're going to be given a quest or want to go on a quest themselves. They are going to think about what they might encounter on the quest, and they are going to prepare themselves accordingly for whatever trials and tribulations they might encounter when they start the quest they're going to use narrative play to explore and do things quickly and heroically they're not narrative play isn't about letting the rules step on what you want to do it's all about empowering the characters and letting them do and tell the type of stories that they want to do so we've got to clear out the necromancer that's threatening the uh, threatening the town good old classic one right yep so you know the quest but you don't know maybe where the necromancer is so you'll use narrative play to 
try to find out where they are, to investigate, to overcome their hordes of minions. You would use narrative play to crawl through the, the, the traps and the small rooms of the dungeon when you find the dungeon because, you know, again, a single zombie in a 10 by 10 foot room, you don't really need to do combat play for that. Yeah. You, you finally come to the necromancer's lair. Um, they're in the middle of summoning a big, powerful ritual. They've got their undead army around them. That's when you enter your combat play. You face off against the lich. You have a... It's probably going to be a long combat. Combats aren't short in Beacon, and that's why we save them for these important moments, like your confrontation with the Necromancer. Assuming you're successful, you defeat the Necromancer, you save the town. If that was all you had to do on the quest, quests can be longer than that and usually are, but say that was all you had to do, you've successfully completed the quest. Good job, heroes. You gain another level, because you gain a level when you complete a quest. There's no EXP tracking. It's just every quest you complete, regardless of whether it was a success or failure, Congratulations, you get another level. And uh, my uh, the thing I added that I like that uh, I just think is fun, you get a loot crate. Ooh, okay. All right, all right. Now we're, we're talking the lingo. All right, loot crates. All right, what's... Is it random items? Absolutely, because I am a sucker for that kind of stuff. I love, I love loot crate mechanics done well. Oh, that's uh, sweet. And I haven't really seen one done in a tabletop role-playing game. No. They're, they're, they're usually in video games, and there's usually predatory practices associated with them, which you can't really do in a tabletop game. Like, the loot's in the game. You're just getting random loot, just flavored the way of there's a loot crate. Basically, you get three random pieces of loot that you get to pick one, and that's now an unlocked part of your character going forward. Everyone gets their own loot crate, so you also don't have to worry about the situation of there was only one piece of loot in this dungeon, or um, it was a Holy Avenger and there's no paladins in our group. Nice. Everyone's getting a piece of loot. It's random. It's not necessary. Like Your characters operate perfectly fine without them. They're just meant to be fun little options that you can use in combat play and but there are powerful ones out there and the the game is intentionally set up that you can respect so easy that maybe you get a, a really cool powerful piece of loot that you go huh this doesn't work with my current build but let me see if I can make something work with it you just respect to to try to use it and when I say they're powerful I don't mean like you're a level one D and D character that has just gotten a level twenty. Yeah, that like they're all scaled to still operate at all levels of play. It's just they might have more interesting effects or be slightly more powerful than like the starting sword that you would use. But like none of them are by themselves game breaking. Although I make no promises that players won't be able to find game breaking combinations and i encourage that there is nothing like release the endorphins of opening up a loot crate it's so yeah no i have i'm a huge fan of just giving people items and i roll if there's random tables for me to use in the game i roll on those tables yeah it may it may not make sense but honestly like players love that kind of stuff it's yeah. just I it's fun. It's that's ex- that's that's my approach to it. Is it's fun. I straight up like built a loot crate generator for this. Like there's a link for it in the PDF, so like the GM can just press a button and it'll roll generate like a, a loot crate for someone. Just send them the snapshot. All right, here's your three options. Which one do you want? That's awesome. So then yeah. I so I love that idea. The one thing you mentioned is so going back to tactical stuff. The the whole idea of that combat, you know, you save it for when it really matters because there's um, it can be longer, a big piece of the game there. So that tactical play, it doesn't appeal to some people. So 
So what can you do then as a game master to make tactical gameplay more appealing and engaging? And what are some of the things you've done in Beacon, Beacon to kind of make it not feel like a slog? Yeah. So it, it's imp- it's an important question, and it it does slightly depend on what a person's approach to it is, whether it's a preference or like a straight up dislike distaste. Like if someone really doesn't like tactical combat, for example, in the same way maybe someone doesn't like narrative uh, he- uh, narrative heavy games, you're not going to convince someone otherwise. But you have yeah. someone that maybe it's just like oh, I don't, this isn't my preferred sort of thing. There are things you can do that would that would assist with that. One of the main things is that phase system that the combat uses really helps break it down into manageable chunks for people. The way you build your characters, you can build them to be defenders, uh, support, strikers. You can find characters or make characters that have more or less complexity based on your taste or more or less engagement or simplicity depending on your taste like the chronomancer class super complicated if someone doesn't like tactical play i would probably they probably wouldn't want to play a chronomancer because that one is super complicated um but like the phoenix which is like the pyromancer class it's got a really simple strategy of it wants to put damage over time effects on people. And you can just find those abilities that do damage over time. That's my role. I I am making attacks at people or I am setting people on fire. This is what I do. Like my game plan is set in stone kind of from the beginning. Gotcha. So really just kind of give the players some some different options then for how to interact with the rules. Every, everything in this game is about options. So actually one of the other things that the game has is uh, from playing a bunch of like D&D 4E, I remember I, I only really ran games for a long period of time, but the one time I played in a game, because I was familiar with it, I was like, all right, looking forward to this combat scene. I was playing with other people who weren't as familiar with it, which is fine. That's not a problem. But it took a while for combat to finally get to my turn. And when it did, I was like, all right, I knew exactly what I'm going to do. Here we go. Here's my plan. And I rolled terrible. And there's nothing else I can do. That my turn took a grand total of one minute. And it'll be 15 more minutes until my turn. Uh, and I know that is a frustrating frustration some people have with tactical games so this game straight up has a re-roll table as part of it where you can re-roll at cost in the game it's built into the game there's a specific mechanic you can take downsides in combat to essentially try again because and there's three of them because the what i found is that failing sucks if it you does. if you fail four times in a row after you've used every reroll option it's now just funny that you've had that bad luck like it kind of takes the sting out of it knowing you have this option and that at a certain point listen it just wasn't going to happen but you've also done like even if you've now failed in that case you've done more than a single roll that decided everything for your turn you had that choice I got I wanted to ask you this. This was on on my sheet. How does this game play as far as a one shot goes? Can I? Is this something I can run at a? Because there's a lot of cool things in this that I'm like, oh, this would be really cool to just play at a convention. So, but I'm not sure with just the tactical nature of it. So, how would this play in a one shot? Oh, it actually runs great as a one shot. So, the the quest structure. You can basically do, all right, we're going to have one combat scene because combat scenes take a long period of time. That's the point of it. But you have your combat scene. uh, So you have your quest. You know what it's going to be. There are skill challenges that you can do. And there's either skill challenges that are purely narrative, but there's also skill challenges that lead directly into combat scenes where you're making your skill checks to overcome adversities or gain benefits to either avoid drawbacks or gain benefits in the next combat scene and that's the perfect sort of thing to use for these one shots where all right we're going to the necromancer's lair there's a dungeon filled with traps and lots of undead 
it's a skill challenge to everyone gets to describe what they're doing, how they're overcoming it, and you get to affect the one combat scene that you'll have because you'll probably have one combat scene. You set up your cool little combat scene where everyone gets their little chance to do something and you've you give everyone a loot crate at the end and you've completed like a standard beacon cycle in a one shot. Okay. You've got your narrative, you've got your combat, you've got your rewards. Okay. So then as a one of the things that I wanted to ask you, is this something will you have like this may this may be getting in way into the weeds. All right. So if you don't, this is just me asking this because this sound, I, I now I just really want to run this at a convention. All right. So um, is do you have like, how's it go for like pre-generated characters? Because because uh, character loadout, that's so important to that. Is that will you do that? at the table or is it too much of a lengthy process that you would say if you're going to run this at a one shot take some pre-gens with you here's some pre-gens so what's that kind of look like so that's that's a good question um so some of the play testers that that have been playing this or some of the community like some of them have even started putting together some like here's uh, suggestions for like intro characters or here's suggestions for if you're playing this class of what you should be looking for and it's really helpful stuff. So um, I would recommend people taking a look at that if they ever get the chance. But for a one shot specifically, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do full pregens because part of the point of the game is about building your own character. But I think you could do a more limited type of type of loadout, like let them pick their ancestry because ancestries uh you know uh, traditional races they have ancestry traits that you equip just like anything else so if you're an elf you can either face step or you can be super fast um and you can equip you know one of those abilities so that that's a really easy decision point for people to pick during a one shot like maybe all right here's the jobs but here are your um but here, pick your ancestry. There's also standard weapons and standard techniques and equipment in addition to the ones you unlock. So I think you could probably set it up so that if you're doing level one characters, you pre-equip for each character whatever they would get through their class. So if they got a weapon and a technique from their class, Equip that automatically for them, but let them choose what other things to fill in from the options that are available to them. Okay, Just, yeah. Yeah. Give them some options. Exactly. Okay. You want to make sure, in a game like Beacon, you want to make sure that they are choosing things for themselves. Um, but if you're doing like a one-shot, you don't want to like you don't want to spend all four hours yeah. doing character creation because they could. Gotcha. So then, all right, so... Lots of cool stuff with this game, but let's talk now uh, about how this game is going to come to be. All mm. right. So tell us a little bit how you plan on uh, publishing this game, where you end that process, and uh, your Kickstarter. Yes. So uh, Beacon is going to Kickstarter on September 13th. Um, there's a pre-launch page that you can already check out. Uh, you can go to bit.ly slash beaconrpg to go ahead and check it out. The game is, it, it's going to Kickstarter because it needs funds for editing and layout and additional art. But the core part of the game is basically already written and it's been in public playtest for quite a while. So I just released the version 1.11. Um everything in the book so far is in there people can go and check it out and play with it now already um the kickstarter is to make it like a polished product but the goal is to still have like the player part free for anyone that wants to access it and basically if, if people want to pay for it you'll just be paying for like the G gming required section so if you have one person that wants to run beacon for you you as the player aren't going to have to pay for anything additional if you just want to participate 
in the game as a player, it's all going to be there for you. Nice. So are you then planning on, are you going to do a PDF? Is this like you're going to get up or are we going to do like a full book launch? Ah, good question. Uh, yeah. There, there's definitely going to be a PDF. There is going to be a physical book option. I am still figuring out what that is going to end up being. It, and it's going to be an option for people. So if people only want the PDF, that's going to be that's going to be available. Um, I'm torn between two things, which is the fact that I want to make a nice physical book uh, for people. Um, but this would also be my first time doing like physical things myself. And prices for that kind of stuff is bonkers right now. Yeah. So uh, I'm kind of stuck in the point where I'm gonna, I'm likely gonna have a physical component to it, but it's not gonna be cheap. And there's probably nothing I can do about that because I, uh, it's gonna be a small, I'm a small time creator. I don't yeah. have the ability to do the, uh, uh, you know, bulk printing or anything. Yeah. No. No. That makes total sense. And also, listeners, I will point out we are recording this. Uh several weeks before uh tim goes to kickstarter <laughs> so i know from talking to so many people who've put stuff on kickstarter and other designers is that a lot of stuff can change in a week's time so. yeah yeah and i've seen a lot of those things change and i've heard the uh positive and negative stories of that so keeping all options open <laughs> so i will say this uh listeners i have looked at this book and Tim, I'm going to give you I'm going to give you some props here because one of the things that I complain about so much in books is not being able to I I process information it's differently it's really hard for me to do so when I'm reading and I don't know why how you laid out the intro to this book I was able to just lots of bullet points there and I was able to like absorb the information and know what I was looking at which was awesome. So I, I thank you. I, I think you and me might digest information in a similar way, which is probably why it worked works out that well. I, a few other people will as well. Like I, I feel like, especially for a certain subset of people that like Lancer, like D&D 4E, I feel like there's a similarity in how some of these brains are wired. Yeah, it was very much like a, I, I read a lot of technical manuals and stuff, and there was lots of, there was flavor here, and well, it was well written, but there was this, just this technical aspect where it was just, it was easy to absorb, and that just made me feel good. So, <laughs> I'll say that. So, uh, before we kind of wrap up, uh, we'll include all these links and stuff so people can check this out because this is super cool. Uh, is there anything else about Beacon? That we just we have to know. Would you like a loot crate? I would. I would love a loot crate. Yes. Okay. Here, here we're gonna go. Uh, you have three options. Uh, I've just rolled a loot crate for you. There is the uncommon, uh, uncommon weapon, a torch mace. There is. Ooh, you got lucky. There is the legendary support item, the wind step armor. And there is a rare weapon, Portalus, uh, a long arm, so a spear. Oh, okay. So I was, oh, this is tough because I was going to say like, oh, it's a no-brainer, uh, Windstep Armor, because that sounds super edgy, and I love playing edgy, very cool characters. But then you mentioned a spear, and I love playing people with pole arms. Oh, th then you're you're gonna like both of these. One step armor. You are invisible while you're moving, and these these are for combat play. You're invisible while moving. Portalus is, uh, basically it opens up portals when you attack with it, so you can attack with this weapon much further than you would normally be uh, able to attack, even though it isn't actually any physically longer. That that's it. That's it. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is play like blade warlocks in games that can kind of teleport across the battlefield and summon weapons and stuff so that's giving me good vibes there so the uh, portalus for sure portalus that's that's all you and you would probably want to check out the uh hex blade and shadow dancer jobs to put that on oh, this is um, this is just like i used to talk to a lot of people about games and like, i do get excited about a lot of games but uh i don't get to play them all 
but this game just makes me feel good. Like it just, just talking about this stuff. This is awesome. So anyway, uh, this is awesome. Tim, thanks so much for reaching out and telling me about this. This is sweet. Yeah. Thank you. So, so th- it's always lovely to talk to you. So thank you so much. Uh, no problem. And so before we wrap up then, where can people find you on social media? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Pirate Gonzalez. Uh, and yeah, go ahead and feel free to follow me there and you can check out, I've got links to the Kickstarter there. Uh, feel free to, depending on when you're listening to this, there's either a pre-launch page you can check out or just the actual thing would be really cool as well. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Tim, thanks so much for joining me tonight. Uh, listeners, as always, this is Tom. You can follow me on Twitter at Bezcar Tom. That's Mandalorian Metal Tom. And as always, like we close every show don't forget if you're having fun you're doing it right thanks everyone thanks for listening to the rpg academy podcast we do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors welcoming more people into this community all of our website content will always be free to use and utilize but there are expenses related to the show And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy. Or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.